You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey, welcome into what is the final edition of the First Draft Podcast for this season. And before I say hello to Mel and Todd, I'm going to give them like five extra seconds to catch up on some sleep and say thank you to everybody who has spent time listening to us over the last handful of months, plus the people that helped make this podcast possible. Mike Voss, Matt Uffer, David Presley helped bring this podcast to life through video. Daniel Dopp, our intrepid producer, and all those involved with the audio product. It was a banner year for us. And it was a banner year again for Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay. Mel, how are you doing after the draft? Have you slept more than like six or seven hours per night since then? A little less. Like Todd and I always look at that as survival. This is our kind of our Bear grills moment. Throw us out there and see if we can come back <laughs> and still stand the day after, a couple of days after the draft. And we are still standing. We're still excited. Todd's got his mock draft for next year coming out Thursday. I've already got some guys rated. I got a big board coming out in two weeks uh, for next year's draft. So, this one will be in the rearview mirror. We'll move on uh, to next year pretty soon. But today we'll kind of review everything and come up with some uh, some ideas about who we think did well, uh, some surprising, puzzling moves, and, and 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 wrap up the draft. And I'll tell you what, guys, a lot of good players went undrafted, and they've already signed with respective teams. There you're kind of your eighth and ninth round picks, and some of those guys uh, could be in camp and, and helping teams this year in the National Football League. All right, how are we hanging in? Good. I actually I told Kuiper the story yesterday. So my parents both worked for Delta, right? Growing up, I've been flying on planes since I was like eight, nine months old. I've never been able to sleep on a plane, ever. I, so we, I'm flying from Cleveland to Boston and I get a tap on the shoulder. It's the flight attendant. And he says, it, it's time to go. You got to grab your bag and go. <laughs> a hundred and, I was seated in 1A. That was my seat, 1A. 150 people had passed by me. I slept <laughs> through the whole thing. I look around and there were people with, you know, the, the cleaning crew with trash bags, cleaning everything up. I was like, oof, this is embarrassing. That <laughs> you're is lucky, amazing. You're lucky that plane went heading somewhere else to take you out. But to take it off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could have wound, wound up in Germany. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, it's certainly well earned. And the content has not stopped since the draft is over. I know. Mel has done his draft grade. Todd has done his biggest question marks. You mentioned that Todd is doing his 2022 mock draft, which comes out on Thursday. Mel, you're working on your big board. The draft really is a 365-day-a-year event, but we don't want to let this draft that just went behind us pass by without taking at least one more bite at the apple to review some of the picks that were made, some of the strategies involved by teams, and maybe those that we felt like fared stronger than others. So we're going to start in reviewing this draft by starting with teams that we thought had a standout draft, knocked it out of the park. So, Mel, I'll give you the first pick. What was the team that knocked, knocked this draft out of the park? Gave two A's. Uh, the uh, Miami Dolphins, I thought, had a great draft. Not only do they get players to help on both sides of the ball, you get a 2023 uh, first-round pick from the 49ers. But, you know, Jalen Waddell, Jalen Phillips uh, should be impact performers, a pass rusher in Phillips and a receiver return man, punt returner in Waddell. 
uh, Javon Holland, Liam Eikenberg, Hunter Long, that second tight end, Arnell Coleman, that huge bookend, underrated attack out of UMass. Uh, they did really well. And the Chargers, I thought, lined it up. They sat. They waited for Slater to be there. He was at 13. Asante Samuel, Jr., cornerback from Florida State, one of the more underrated players, goes at 47. Uh, then they get guys like Chris Rumpf, a good pass rusher, in the fourth round. I like Brendan Hymas' potential at Nebraska. I know about the senior bowl practice. I went back and looked at the tape in Nebraska. He, he held up very well there with the Cornhuskers. Larry Roundtree running back in the sixth round. Nice pick there. So I gave the Chargers and the Dolphins the two highest grades. And the Giants, I kind of amended that. Gave them a B plus. Should have given them an A. They moved down twice. Uh, they get a first-round pick next year uh, from Chicago. They got Ojalari in the second, Kadarius Tony in the first, added some real good players along the way. So I'd say the, the Dolphins, Chargers, Giants in that order for me. Yeah, and, and Gettleman, go ahead. I was going to say, who comes to mind for you? I was just going to say quickly, Gettleman, Dave Gettleman, the GM of the Giants, has never traded down before. And so he kind of went against the grain and moved down twice. And I, I thought he had a, a really successful draft. I'll start with the other New York team. The Jets, I thought Joe Douglas did a tremendous job. And listen, he deconstructed the roster and get, got all this, this draft capital, over 20 picks over a two-year span, so that he can maneuver around. He's not going to spend all 20 picks, but it's just figuring out the guys that he wants. Obviously, sitting at number two, they love Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU. And then he, he knew that he wanted to go up and get Elijah Vera Tucker, the offensive tackle in college, who's going to kick inside the guard for the Jets to protect the quarterback. They want to do with, with Wilson what the previous regime never really was able to do with Sam Darnold, and that's protect him and put weapons around him. So they, they utilized a little bit of that draft capital to move up to, a, I think it was 18 overall to get Elijah Vera Tucker. 14. And then oh, it was a 14. Okay, 14. Yeah. And then and then early in this, the second round, they sometimes lucky. You got you got to be lucky to be good. They get a player that Mel and I both agree. Elijah Moore, the wide receiver from Ole Miss, belonged somewhere in the first round, and he falls to the second. So now you've got your quarterback. You've got you've got a, a great pass protector on the inside. You've got a weapon at wide receiver. And then in the in the I think it was the fourth round, they get Michael Carter, the running back from North Carolina, who can be that scat back third down guy, Mister Versatility. And even in the sixth round. To get Hanson Nasruddin, the safety from Florida State, who's had some durability issues, but he's a big dude. You know, 6'2 and change, 225 pounds. He can play that, that dime and, and maybe even nickel linebacker spot, strong safety. So they got a lot of good players. And the other team that I really liked when I, when I sat down and looked at all of these, I thought Carolina, the mm -hmm. Panthers, had mm -hmm. a really good draft. Um, JC Horn was a little bit of a surprise at eight, the cornerback out of South Carolina, but he fits their scheme. They want to be a press man team and he's a big physical, long press man corner. Then they got, um, Terrace Marshall, who we knew he was going to fall a little bit because of the, the, inj the leg injury, but he fell all the way to, you know, basically, you know, in the middle of the second round. And then they get Tommy Tremble. Later, the, the fullback from Notre Dame, who's just kind of your, your versatile guy who can be a great blocker for Christian McCaffrey. Don't forget, Sam Darnold was all was a part of this whole mixture as well. And so and then Shai Smith, another receiver. So Terrace Marshall, the big, long vertical receiver. Shai Smith, your slot receiver with Darnold and the other guys that I mentioned. 
I thought they had a really good draft. So the only thing with them, only thing with that field and Todd is, is Brady Christensen's going to have to be that left tackle possibility. And he tested well. He had a really good career, but he was never really challenged that much in pass protection. Now he's you pass on Rashawn Slater. Now you got Brady Christensen. I like J.C. Horn. I think he's a heck of a pick in terms of a player. But they have to hope that that left tackle they drafted in the third round out of BYU holds up. And to piggyback on the Jets, Todd, the only issue I had with them was when you move Darnold, you go with Wilson, you lose Kyle Pitts. So they could have had Darnold as their quarterback and had Kyle Pitts. And now they don't have Kyle Pitts. So basically by Wilson being your quarterback and moving with Darnold, you lost a great receiving entity in Kyle Pitts. And as I said, in a couple of years, what would you need to trade to, to a team that has Kyle Pitts like the Atlanta Falcons to get Kyle Pitts? What would, what would you have to give up? So to me, that's something to watch moving forward. But does that Yeah, I, under, really I understand that, but, but, but we're not in the building every day. You know, we, we haven't been around him and we don't know what his psyche was like. And it, it was very clear that while they, they like Sam Darnold, but they, they thought it was time for him to move on and for the organization to move on. And I think both sides were really happy with, with how that played out. And, yeah, and I understand your point. I really yeah, do. And, I, and I, Joe basically said, as you know, I mean, you're good friends with Joe Douglas and you know how it is, Todd. You know this better than anybody. They, if they'd have been picking third, he came out and said, we would have stuck with Sam. It was their love for Zach Wilson yeah. above and beyond. So if they would have been picking third and Zach goes too, he had said, we're sticking with Sam Darnold. So it wasn't yeah. like he, he you know. He so that, I mean, that, that's how, that's how close it was for him. But right. they, Right. They just fell in love with Zach, with Zach Wilson, and, and only time will tell. But, but there's every reason to believe outside of some of the, the durability issues he's had with the shoulders and the thumb that he's going to be a really good pro. So I think we have to mention, at least I'll mention the Chicago Bears as a team that, whose draft, if it goes as planned, and we know that rarely does a draft go as planned, but if the players that they selected reach their apex could be looked upon as a franchise-altering draft, it's Chicago. I always give teams credit for being honest with their timeline. Normally what I'm talking about is teams that aren't going to be very good. So rather than investing a bunch of money into assets that might not help them when they're actually hitting their stride, rather are still building things up, they, they look towards the future. Chicago, they needed a home run this year because Ryan Pace, their GM, and Matt Nagy, their head coach, understood the stakes of this season. If they don't win big this year, more likely than not, they're looking for a job a year from right now. And in moving up for Justin Fields and moving up for Tevin Jenkins to play left tackle, the Bears solidified two essential starters. If these guys hit, and we got to see if they actually do hit, but I like both of the prospects and sort of a masterstroke for Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy in this regard. If Justin Fields shows a lot of promise and looks like a franchise quarterback this year, they probably stick around and earn themselves an extension. If he's not that guy immediately, the same thing happens to them that probably would have happened if they had just rolled out Andy Dalton as their starter. They're gone, right? I don't think any of us think that Andy Dalton was going to lead them to 10, 11, or 12 wins this season. So I understand the risk involved, and they paid a lot to move up from 20 to 11. But I do admire what the Bears did there to get a quarterback and a left tackle and sort of re-engage their hopes for this year, Mel. Yeah, they made no interest, had showed no attempt. They made uh, actually showed no interest in getting Carson Wentz, which surprised me. So you don't yeah. get Wentz, you bring in Dalton. Now you get Justin Fields. It's going to be, I think, all these five quarterbacks after the four after Trevor are interesting because you know Zach's got all that pressure with the Jets, but Joe Douglas is trying to help him. Justin Fields is in there with Andy Dalton. Is he going to be ready to save the job of the GM and the head coach and 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 perform? Now he can give you that 
that dual threat quarterback, that running threat that Andy can't as a changeup. Trey Lance can give Garoppolo that changeup if he doesn't be if he's not ready to be the starter. So you got two guys if Justin and Trey aren't the starter, and I don't think they should be opening week. Then you can still work them in because they're going to give you what a Taysom Hill gives you with Drew Brees or gave them with Drew Brees. Then you look at at Mac. Mac is completely different than Cam. Play calling, blocking, everything about that offense is different with Cam than it is with Mac. And you can say, well, it's it's. I'd say it's going to be seamless. Look what happened with Lamar and Joe Flacco. That was late in the year number one, and Lamar came in and gave defenses something they hadn't seen with Joe. Mac's going to come in and give them a pocket presence, a pocket passer who's not real mobile. And Cam is the mobile guy. So is that going to work? How is that going to? How will that? How will they adjust? How will Josh McDaniels adjust? I think watching and seeing after Trevor, how these other four quarterbacks are are planned for in terms of when they're going to get in there. Plans can go awry really quickly. How that is all handled and how it plays out is going to be really fun to watch. A lot of quarterback action will define this draft, as we know, with five going in the first 15. Uh, I know none, none of us here likes to say that a team screwed up the draft because, as we know, sometimes the drafts that look great don't work out. And sometimes the drafts that look less promising end up being really successful. But let's talk process and picks wise. Uh, and I'll start with you, Todd. Which team maybe had the most puzzling draft this year in your estimation? I think Denver for one, one reason field. It's because they didn't take a quarterback, you know, and, and you bring in Teddy Bridgewater and I understand that, but if you bring in Teddy, that means you're not committed to Drew Locke. So why not draft a quarterback and, and, and throw him in the mix and, and have them all compete? That, that would be the only thing. And I'll say this, too, for, for Denver. Patrick Sertan was a great pick at nine. Javante Williams, a running back from North Carolina, was a really good pick at 35. Quinn Miners is a good value where they got him, the offensive guard coming out of Wisconsin, uh, Whitewater, at 98 overall. Like, they didn't draft poorly. I was just surprised because you're sitting there in the first round at nine and you've got, you've got Justin Fields and Mac Jones still on the board. And then you pick early in the second round and you have your choice of those three quarterbacks. And you know what? Maybe none of those three will ever become good starters in the league. We're talking about Kellen Mond from Texas A&M, uh, Davis Mills from, from Stanford, Kyle Trask from Florida. But it's, I, I was just surprised. I wouldn't say it was a bad decision, but I was surprised that they decided not to draft a quarterback. They're a tough, go ahead. They're a tough spot field. They, they yeah. have not, nothing has lined up for that team quarterback-wise since they took Paxton Lynch. They, they, that affected the Josh Allen not taking. Then the I've got, I've got this list. You ready, Mel? It's so hard. going back the last five mm-hmm. years since they lost Peyton, it's, it's Trevor Simeon. These are, these are an order of the, the most starts from quarterbacks to Denver. Simeon, Drew Locke, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, Brandon Allen, Jeff Driscoll, uh, Philip Lindsay. And Brett Rippon, you, you wanted – there were only two quarterbacks in that group that actually had winning records. Simeon was 13-11, and 11, and Brett Rippon was 1-0. and 0. <laughs> I mean, there, everyone against the Jets had, a few years ago, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's bad. It's bad. And like I said, I think what Denver did was – and keep in mind, you have you know, Mahomes, Herbert, and Carr in this division. I know. I know. That's the hard part. Brutal. It's brutal. And, and they're, they're going to stick with Drew Locke. We hope Drew Locke can be the guy. They better hope that now they try to get Stafford. They try to get Darnold. They didn't want to take, they didn't take fields. They didn't take Mac, as you said, and they're sticking with Bridgewater to bring in and maybe compete or mentor Drew Locke. However, that's going to work out. Bottom line is I don't care who, who you drafted. If you're not elite at quarterback in this league right now, you're going to have a tough time. And let's hope for them that Drew Locke 
can be. Now, Drew Locke, I think, last year didn't get a lot of help. There was those receivers. Yeah. No, he didn't. Better. I, I've been saying he, that. He has that. talent. Yeah. Got a big but if, but if you love him, you're not you're not trying to bring in all those other guys, right? Well, I guess, yeah. Sometimes you just don't know, Todd. I think they wanted insurance. If Drew wasn't the guy, maybe that's the way they felt. I don't know, but or push him or overtake him, bring the competition in. But those were I don't care who's throwing the ball. Those guys got to catch. Him. I mean, you can have a great quarterback He's throwing. The, Jerry Judy to me was a disappointment for what was expected. Yep. Of Jerry Judy, yep. he had drops too many drops. He drops. Yep. He drops. And we know Hamler's always had an issue with that. Uh, they got to get Cortland Sutton back healthy. Fan. They got to get them all on the field and they got to improve. The same, same, same thing about the Giants for Daniel Jones. Catch the damn ball when it's thrown to you. And the Giants didn't and Denver did. And that impacted Jones. It impacted Locke. So I'm not ready to say Drew Locke can't be a really good quarterback in this league. And obviously uh, they believe in him strongly. I'm not either. But I mean, you had Justin Fields as your number two quarterback. And he's sitting there. Right. He's sitting they there at number nine. That, right, I mean, that's why it was puzzling to me. Yeah. Right. But see, they didn't. See, that's where, again, no, of course, people, a lot of people had Justin Fields as a fifth quarterback in this draft. I didn't. But some people did. Some people weren't believing in Justin Fields. We've heard Todd. Probably people were hating on Justin Fields. And, ah, you know, they, what they say publicly, privately. But bottom line is a lot of people didn't like Justin Fields. Now, maybe they, obviously they didn't. They didn't. So, again, you know, you look at it and say their ratings uh, took them to uh, Pat Sertan, who's a good player. But to me, uh, Drew Locke is the guy now. We'll see how he plays, and those receivers better catch the ball when it's thrown to him. Uh, who was the team that puzzled you a little bit, Mel? I didn't get – I mean, I – listen to this, Todd. I had heard – yeah, we did the mock draft in the morning. Todd, congratulations. You did a great job with your seven for seven. That's right, seven um, for seven to start. You're, you're lucky Thank you, seven there. You're lucky four, Lu- six, seven. Uh, lucky uh, yeah, seven. Uh, great job with that. It might, it might have something to do with the 400 phone calls the night before. Hey, but go ahead. Hey, <laughs> I, had, they, I was told there was, I was told Zayvon Collins and Penesel. Penesel, I had to put a trade in. So I said, I get Penesel, but you're okay. They need players. You stuck with them. I got off of and project. Then you got into, okay, it was Devontae Smith where he's, he's going to go Miami. That night you went Waddle, I went Smith. But then I had Zayvon Collins. I was told by a really good source. Zayden Collins is going to Arizona. Now, I don't know if you had Zayden Collins going to Arizona, Todd. I don't know. You know my mock better than I do. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't go into Baltimore at the end of the first I don't think I did. Yeah. No, I had him him going really late. I had him going in the the high school. Not to Arizona. When I heard that, I'm saying, Arizona, Arizona. And I projected a trade with a jet trading up to Arizona spot because I felt like they got to take a running back. So I'm not buying that. I think that's thrown out there. I think they're going to trade down and get a running back or Zayvon Collins, but not take him there. So I gave him the running back with Jets going up to get Elijah Vera Tucker. To me, Zayvon Collins, we say, is that kind of that chess piece, right? You can move around. They got that with Isaiah Simmons last year, right? So if you get yep. an Isaiah Simmons last year, now you're bringing in a Zayvon Collins when you need a running back. You obviously could use a guy, that, a receiving entity to help out. They ended up not long after that. They drafted Rondale Moore. Uh, yeah, so to me, that was puzzling. And then New England not drafting a wide receiver till the seventh round. Uh, they, instead of Cameron McGrone in the fifth, they could have had Mark West Stevenson. Frank Darby, Shai Smith, Simi Fajoko, Mike Strawn, Cornell Powell. There was receivers there. They took a linebacker from Michigan. So the fact that the Patriots didn't take a wide receiver, they got Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Jacoby Myers, Nikhil Harry, now Trey Nixon, who they drafted in the seventh round. A strong wide receiver draft, no receiver until the seventh. That surprised me for New England. So I'll go to my team that surprised me, and I understand that just one player is really what matters for this draft class. 
and he could end up being the best by far. It's Trevor Lawrence going to the Jaguars. But you look at the subsequent picks after that, and there were some, some that there were some that befuddled me just a little bit. First of all, Travis Etienne in the first round. I'm I'm part of the Mel Kiper school where first round running backs are rarely going to earn significant praise from me, especially when you have a backfield that includes James Robinson, who was phenomenal for them last year out of Illinois State as an undrafted free agent. And then you sign Carlos Hyde to be a power back to a two-year deal this offseason. Urban Meyer conceded that the player that really wanted to pick number 25 was Kadarius Toney, who I would have understood a little bit more. But then you go down from there. This was a draft that was defined by a lot of things, but one of them includes lack of medical information. And the Jaguars went on to use relatively premium picks on Walker Little, who's played one game over the past two seasons because of significant injuries and opt-outs. Obviously, he plays an important position at left tackle, but there are some question marks about how ready he would be to be a left tackle anytime soon in the NFL. And then a little bit further down, they take Andre Sisco, one of the best safeties in this class, but he also missed a bunch of time last year because of a torn ACL and obviously hampered him during the pre-draft process. So I think just the idea that you're uh, taking calculated bets on players with significant injuries, plus the first round running back had me a little bit more confused on Jacksonville, but again, Trevor Lawrence might be enough to make any other draft pick on their roster this year, sort of a back burner thought. Yeah. At very best. And I, I know talking to, to urban a lot leading up to the draft, the, Certainly, Tony was one of the guys on the short list, but he, they didn't think. And I know another team that wound up trading up didn't think that that um, ETN would even be available in that 23, 25 range because there was a lot. There were, I think, two different people that I talked to in the league thought that had heard that Buffalo was trying to trade up from 30 maybe to go get ETN, didn't think he'd be available. So, but yeah, I am, yeah, I, I understand some of the durability stuff is, is concerning, but. Those first two picks, plus the fact they're teammates, I, I think it's, it's going to build a really good culture with two guys that are the highest football character that you can ask for. Yeah, I certainly understand the character side of it and the fact that uh, they're going to get much better right away. Like ETN is going to play a lot, even though Urban Meyer's post-draft uh, press conference remarks was something to the effect of like, it could be a third down guy, it could be a play in space guy. I think ETN would be very very busy. Let's turn instead to some of the best steals, our biggest deals in the draft mail. Are there any players, maybe a couple of players that come to mind to you as a steal that you just couldn't believe went where he did? I was a little surprised Tevin Jenkins dropped to where he did. Uh, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma State. I know you say right tackle, but he had some experience at left tackle. He's going to play left tackle with the Bears. Uh, you know, after the Bears went and took Justin Fields, they helped him out. If, if Tevin Jenkins can handle the left tackle spot, Charles Leno moves on. Uh, in comes Tevin Jenkins. That's a lot. You're asking an awful lot of a right tackle with limited experience at left tackle to come into the NFL and handle that spot for Andy Dalton or Justin Fields. So those first two picks, pressurized situations for both. But I do think Jenkins at pick 39, he could have gone 20 if the Bears would have stayed at that spot. Nobody would have really had a big argument with that pick. And then the other one was Asante Samuel Jr. We talked about Jacksonville. You mentioned Field. Their draft, Tyson Campbell is a talent. He's got length. He yeah. covers well, and Lewis Riddick always talked about it. There's three areas of coverage. The deep pass, when he's ready to finish, he loses sight. He's not instinctive. What's he lacking? Kirby Smart couldn't coach that out of him in three years. Came in with the same grade as Pat Sertan coming out of high school. You're rolling a dice that he, all of a sudden he's going to figure that out. I don't know if you can. So I think Asante Samuel Jr., to me, to pass on him and allow him to slip down to the L.A. Chargers, Chargers didn't have to move for Slater, didn't have to move for Asante Samuel at 47. Love the kid, 
love his instincts. Everything about Asante Samuel is a – he's a – you say pure football players in this draft, he would be in my top ten clearly. And a guy that I think for the Chargers allowed them to garner that eight grade for me. All right, Todd, how about you for a couple of steals? Yeah, there were two guys when, when the first night was over, I went back to my list and looked. There were in the top 25 that were still available. And it was Je- Jeremiah Wusu-Koromo, the linebacker from Notre Dame, and Trayvon Merrig, the safety from TCU. And I thought, all right, maybe they'll go 33-34. Like, they're that talented. And then I started texting GMs, and no one had a – usually on day two, you can text a GM, a friend in the league, and they'll be like, ah, there's some more medical there. There's some more character stuff there. And I didn't get anything back. Just a lot of – I'm surprised. We'll see where he goes. Uh, but Wusu Koromoa, the linebacker from Notre Dame, goes 52nd overall to the Browns. And this is a guy who – on tape, when you study him, he's always around the ball. He can play that overhang. He can play the will linebacker spot. I mean, he is your classic hybrid who can be on the field for three downs. So the Browns needed a cover linebacker, and they got one in Usu Koromoa. And then Merrick goes 43 to the Raiders, and the Raiders need athleticism and speed, and he can be that single high safety. He'll come down and support the run. He'll do all the things, but he can really cover. I mean, he can really cover, and he's got good ball skills. So – those are two players on the defensive side that won in round two that I, I thought, unless there's, there's more information out there that you guys have that I don't have. or that Yeah, Jeremiah Abusu-Koromoa, Todd, was a medical, and I, that was something that we didn't talk about, but you kind of heard and you say, okay, so I, I don't yeah. like the you know, you know, like uh, yeah, I, I had heard up. it's mild though, but so yeah. I was I was just surprised. Yeah, but yeah, I know Adam Schefter good. reported today, a Tuesday, maybe it was Monday at this point in time, is all relative, that – there was a heart issue that was discovered late in the oh. pre-draft process for Wusu Koromoa. But again, it actually sounds like it's going to be manageable. But, you know, last yeah. minute, the heart, that's got to be scary for some people. And, well, and, and, and this year, this year was so different. Like the medical results came in about a, like three, four weeks later than they normally do. And so that's something that could have been fleshed out and they could have done like a, a deeper dive into had they known but NFL teams, you get that information so late in the process. That's why this year was was so stressful on decision makers in the NFL, the scouts, the general managers, because you're just kind of waiting for this information that you normally get weeks before, so you can you can really work through it. And let me say this for for players like Jeremiah Wusukuramoa, when you have medical and you don't have the rechecks and everybody doing their due diligence and getting their doctors and getting all the things, the assurances they need. And it's up to some players in a year like this to provide things along the way. And when they don't, and when they're not things done to get those answers and get those questions to say, put the rest to say, okay, we're good to go. Those concerns led to some players. I mean, we were shocked that Aziz Ojolari slipped to where he did, Todd. I mean, that's another one. Your Giants get him way down the line. They they, they moved down to get Ojolari a pick 50. He could have gone 25 and nobody would have had a guard. There was a medical there, injury there. So, again, Terrace Marshall, we have talked about. Terrace Marshall, yep. A more normal year, guys. In a a normal, not a more, in a normal year, I think those players may not have dropped nearly as far as they did. You know, last, uh, maybe it was month or maybe it was three, four weeks ago. I can't recall specifically when we did the podcast where the two of you went back and forth with 44 total picks, selecting a starting offense and a starting defense. One of the players that went relatively late in the exercise was Christian Barmore. And the refrain from both of you was, hey, there's no way he's going to be here at this point of the real draft. But at this point of our hypothetical draft, I have to take him. 
Well, he didn't last quite that long, but he went 38th overall to New England. And I understand, I think we all are aware of some of the, you know, he's a, he's a young kid, some mature, he's gonna have to grow up a little bit, so mm-hmm. to speak. A guy who's a place late to go to grow up, though. Yeah, <laughs> hey, you, you don't grow yeah. up quickly in New England, you'll be playing for somebody else pretty quickly. And fits a need for the Patriots. And I think we all believe that this was not a great defensive tackle class. But if this guy hits, I mean, he could be an immediate impact and a major impact interior defensive lineman. The Patriots trading up to 38, giving up two fourth-round picks, I believe it was. I thought was instructive there, Mel. No, I'll tell you what, Belichick trusts Nick Saban. They work together. Oh. That's a 12 player, 13 players now that were dra- that have been drafted by Bill Belichick played for Nick Saban. First two picks, Mac Jones, Christian Barmore this year. So, again, the trust that Bill has in Nick, when Nick says, hey, you're good to go, uh, you know, he looks at it. And again, you were talking about pick 38, not pick uh, 25 or 20. So, again, I think that was a, a pick that certainly made sense where they were able to take him to go back to a guy that was – I didn't. I thought Todd might take him, so I kind of laid off. <laughs> I know you, but is Elijah Moore. I'm at 16 on the big board. Yeah. So he went – where was he picked? So he went 16. 34? He went, he went the 34. So that's 18 picks later than he was rated. So for me, one of the biggest steals based on numbers, I don't know if you did your rate, looked at your ratings, who the biggest steal <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, I, I had already mentioned him with the Jets, but yeah. I, I yeah, like for, for just pure ranking number, it would have been mm-hmm. Elijah Moore at 16, dropping to 34. Yeah, tremendous value. And to Todd's point, good draft on the whole, it feels like for the Jets, just looking at the value, the needs, and just the players are going to make big impacts at key positions for their roster. So wanted to get into the team that we thought had the biggest reach or made the biggest reach in the first round. And then we were discussing it before the show. We all had the same exact answer. So Todd, (laughs) I'll let you start and just sort of walk us through some of your thoughts behind the selection at pick number 17. Yeah. And this is my least favorite thing to do because, you know, so much time goes into this and and the players, the players are, you know, working so hard, but Alex Leatherwood to me, 17 overall to the Raiders. It's not about Leatherwood necessarily. It's about kind of knowing the board, right? right. And it surprised me because Mike Mayock is, is like, he understands the board. And this is what he did for so many years. Um, but, but Leatherwood to me, was a, he was a second round player. And he was the only guy that came off the board in the first 20 picks where I was like, whoa, really in the first round. Like I, I understood, every, you know, there were some guys that were rated a little lower. But Leatherwood is a, a tackle in college who wants to play left tackle. I'm not certain that he can hold up at left tackle. I think he's probably going to be a better fit at guard in the NFL. And so now at 17, you're, you're playing, you're, you're taking a player who's going to wind up maybe kicking inside the guard who's not elite, you know? So it, I, it was just curious to me. Maybe the Raiders thought because you had had the two tackles come off the boards already and then um, the Jets trade up for Elijah Vera Tucker. I wonder if they th- they thought, all right, this run is going to happen on offensive linemen and we got to get a guy. But but to me, that was the biggest reach in the first round. Yeah, I agree. And I think Todd, Tom Cable, the offensive line coach, the kind of guy that he likes. Obviously, John Gruden always screamed at me. Mel, the phone doesn't always ring. When you say- <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many times he slammed the phone and said his phone doesn't ring when you're telling me I should trade back. All I'd say to John is don't be greedy. How many times I say to me, don't be greedy with the pick. Do you get an offer, trade down, and then get what you can? Alex Leatherwood's played guard. Uh, he's going to play guard, right tackle. We talked about not left tackle. He, he had all those penalties, but 17 penalties last couple of years. Or a lot of times when I'm watching him, he's beaten, and Mac Jones got the ball out quick. And he didn't see yeah. it. There was no yep. tackle. It was Mac Jones and his process and get the ball out. 
you know, saved them from sacks and hurries. So I don't care about that number. The penalties bothered me. And the fact that the, the, the other thing too is guys, you're talking about a team that completely revamped and restructured their whole line. Colt Miller's the last man standing. That was John's first pick ever with the Raiders before Mike yep. came the year before Mike got there. And Colt Miller's a really good left tackle. But now you got a situation where, and I don't like sideways moves at best. Todd mentioned, oh, how are you helping your football team? Did, did you really get better You know, in, by doing what you did? The, the numbers, when you talk about salary cap, maneuvering the seat to allow you to get better. Are the Raiders better? with Leatherwood than they were with the previous line. Is this line going to be better than the previous line? We'll see. But uh, that's a move that obviously trading back would have been something to look at. They didn't. But yeah. like we talked about, if they'd have flipped Trayvon Merrick, the second round pick field, you brought the, flipped the second from the first, we probably would have been sitting here not even debating it. So again, he's a play. He's going to start and he's going to probably be a decent player. But I always say you draft to get better. Did the Raiders get better with that pick? I don't see it. And, you know, perception really matters in a lot of ways in life. And, if the Raiders had a different level of currency built up, I think the, the public would have trusted this, right? But this is the third straight draft where they caught us all by surprise with a first-round pick. Two years, ago, two years ago, Cleveland Farrell comes out of nowhere to be the fourth overall pick in the draft. 24th would have been acceptable, but fourth was yeah. blindsiding to all of us. A year later, Damon Arnett in the first round, 18th overall, cornerback out of Ohio State. If either or both of those players had been smash hits early in his career, and there's plenty of time left, but neither one of those guys has made them look like geniuses relative to the rest of the league, then we'd all probably respond differently to this, right? But you've had back-to-back-to-back first rounds this year where a player goes much higher than expected, and you can't ignore the board. I think about players, there have been different teams that have done this, whether it's Seattle during their peak years. Remember New England, well, where'd you have Logan Mankins when he went 32nd overall out of Fresno State? I remember that being one of those picks. Everybody was like, Logan Mankins? Who is this guy? Well, the Patriots had won three Super Bowls. Bill Belichick, you're picking 32. Scott Peel, these guys have a different sort of cachet about their draft slots. Whereas with the Raiders, I just think it's a little bit different given where they've been for the past few years and how the draft picks have resulted so far. I'll give them credit for, I'll give them credit for this field. Mike and, and John are anything but boring. Okay, yeah. sure. That's right. I was gonna say, I, well, we all made, I made the joke, I don't know, 10 times before the draft itself, you know, I would do a mock draft or people would ask me, you know, who's the biggest, who's going to be the best, biggest surprise in the first round. I'd say whoever the Raiders take, right. I mean, and, and, where, and, then, and, where, and where's the, where's the draft next year? In that's, Las Vegas. that's right. We'll be right there to cheer it on Todd, right. I want John wait. to take the podium and just, and just do it himself and announce it. So uh, yeah, it was certainly an interesting uh, decision in the first round, but uh, we'll see. They could be vindicated in a major way if Alex mm-hmm. Leatherwood becomes a great, great, you know great you're player. Field, you're vindicated when you win enough games to get into the playoffs and do some that. That's when you when nothing has come together. Injuries, yeah. Late late season, just you know, swoons. Late season, uh, just falling apart. Uh, this team's got to put a roster together that can stay healthy and win enough games to get into the playoffs and maybe do some damage. And until that time comes, if that once that time comes, we're not worrying about this pick or that pick. Sure. You know, you know, it, it, when you start winning, you're not scrutinizing it the same way. They just haven't been able to get over the hump yet. A lot of it has to do with injuries, but hey, everybody's got them. Uh, they just seem to have more than anybody else, particularly on defense. Uh, let's get to some Twitter questions to close out the show. And Todd, I'll start with you. Uh, the first question comes from Christian, who wants to know, does Mac Jones start at any point this year for the Patriots? I can see it. Absolutely. I don't think that that's the plan week one. I really don't. I think, you know, by by backing up the Brinks, as we talked about in free agency and spending more money than has ever been spent in free agency, that Bill Belichick 
has brought in enough weapons. And Cam Newton deserves – listen, I, 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 I question whether he can be a great starter, but he deserves a second shot after the crazy offseason, being signed late, having COVID, and all the things that happened in New England last year, and not having a lot of weapons. So now you bring in weapons, you bring in some deep, some edge guys. I, I think that Cam is going to be the starter, but because of his mobility and, and his running and, and the fact that he's, he's going to be vulnerable to injury, I think that could be an opportunity. And if, if, if it's not going well for Cam, I think Mac Jones has the football intelligence to step on the field and have some level of success as a rookie. But I, I really don't think that they drafted Mac Jones at 15 saying he's going to be week one, the starter for the New England Patriots. All right, Mel, this one comes from Buffalo Ceilings, who wants to know, what did this draft teach you, if anything, about the NFL and team building in an atypical situation? Well, I don't, as far as I was concerned, I think the second round stood out to me, guys. I think teams that were aggressive in round two, when you had a day to figure it out, you know, day one ends, you got the whole rest of the time, and they went up, and teams went up. Denver goes up to get Javante Williams. Uh, you know, Christian Barmore, you know, Tevin Jenkins. Atlanta moved down and still got Richie Grant. But Miami, Liam Eikenberg, uh, Trayvon Merrick. Uh, you know, teams were aggressive in round two to go up and get guys, that most of which we liked. So I thought that was important there. Uh, I felt like most of the teams in a year that was anything but normal, I gave no lower, Todd, and, and Field than a C-plus grade. Normally I'm giving some Fs, a D-minus, a D, a D-plus, a C-minus, a C. Didn't give anything lower than a C-plus. And I thought when you looked at all these teams, I don't know if you agree, Todd, because you don't grade them, but you still look at them. Was there anybody you thought deserved a D or a C or a C-minus? No, it was just a tough year. I'll say this just to kind of answer the question. It's, it was interesting talking to so many different scouts and the level of frustration of not being able to have the one-on-one face-to-face time with players. You know, like the Zoom stuff is, is all good, but they realized so, so much on obviously the medical, but then just getting to know these, these people and, and knowing what the general manager wants in terms of what they're bringing into the building. And I think, I mean, you know, we go through this process and we get so caught up in the mock drafts and all that stuff. Like there are like seven to nine scouts on the road for four or five months of their life, usually that are doing this. And they're so used to that process and to have to sit at home and to get on a zoom and not really get to know the players. That was the, to me, the, the biggest complaint I got from every single friend in the league was that we just, we didn't get to know these guys this year. Like we normally do. Uh, and I also think also the ahead, is like, like say new England drafting two kids from Alabama because of the connection with Bill. Yeah. And then, yep. so you trust Nick, you know, okay, I got boom. Two, and then Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley and the Oklahoma got bank, got two Alabama, two Oklahoma, then Michigan with Harbaugh. So I think, I think trusting the coaches in college that you're friends with and you know are going to give you good information on. And players. how many, and how many pairs too? Like Jamar yeah, Chase like going to Joe Burrow. Sure. So Joe's, you know, pounding the table for, for Chase. Uh, you got uh, Jalen Waddle, the receiver, going with Tua Tunga by Aloha. So I think there was more trust put in some of the existing players that had been in the locker room with these guys and, than you normally would have in a given year. And you knew, and you knew, you knew that Urban Meyer was was doubling up with Clemson. You got Trevor, the guy, he's security blanket, and Travis, who's also a receiver and re- big time receiving entity. And he also got an Ohio State player, Luke Farrell. So you knew he was going to draft an Ohio State player. And then, of course, Florida connection with, with Jordan Smith, the UAB pick late. So, yeah, right. I think, I think connections 
and, and, ne- and knowledge of players via the coaches in college football probably helped a lot of these things. All right, Todd, this one comes from Kaden Yoss, who wants to know, who is the small school prospect you are genuinely happy to see drafted? There are no Richmond Spiders. That, that, was, a, that was a disappointment. <laughs> but um, Dylan Ray- Radons, the offensive lineman from, from North Dakota State, everyone you know, talked about Trey Lance, the same program, and he was the number three overall pick. But Radons, just watching tape of him and the way he plays, how physical he was, to see him come off the board in the second round, um, I, I was, just, you know, I just like the guy on tape. How about you, Mel? Yeah, I think Mike Strawn, the wide receiver, 6'5", 225 from, uh, from Charleston, uh, you know, certainly put up the numbers. He's like that tremendous talent and size. Seventh round for the Colts. We'll see how he could do. And then Rams got a couple guys. Robert Rochelle liked him at Central Arkansas. He's added weight. Yep. Uh, he became a guy, even Trey Lance. Trey Lance didn't even go after him in that Central <laughs> Arkansas, North Dakota State game. Uh, and then they also got Chris Garrett from Concordia, a pass rusher late. Uh, so I thought some guys like that, uh, you know, certainly have you root for and you hope that uh, they can settle in and, and get that opportunity. And I'm really happy for a kid. I said this on draft day, Todd, and field off the yard. As far as perseverance, a kid who had some injuries at Damascus High School, Maryland Terrapin, Jake Funk. And you, I know, Todd, you like Jake Funk at Maryland. Uh, running yep. back who's got guts and determination, battle. Mel team. likes the funk. Well, I love the funk. <laughs> And Mike Watson is one of the favorite players he's ever coached is Jake Funk. Rooting for Jake Funk to try to stick on that Rams team. If he doesn't there, he'll make it somewhere. Practice squad, perhaps, at the very least, for Mike Funk. Uh, next one comes from Soup de Loop, Alex Campbell. And I'll start with you, Mel. Does this draft make the Miami Dolphins Super Bowl contenders? Uh, it makes them a heck of a better, much better team. I'll tell mm-hmm. you that. A lot better team than they were. And that, that's, again, building a roster that improves. And building a roster that can, can get to a Super Bowl is so why you go through all this, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't sit here, Todd, if we were an organization, you and I, and it would be a lot of a battles taking place. We would have one. <laughs> I, think, I think we'd build a pretty good football team, but uh, I'd like to think we, so. We, we would be sitting there saying, what are we doing to try to get to a Super Bowl? How are we going to construct this team? That's what it's all about for Miami to fill needs and set themselves up with a 2023 first. And I said all along, opt outs should not be penalized. And I know it's hard not to, but these were decisions made from a medical standpoint, business standpoint. You know, the year was so interrupted and so crazy that uh, and so tragic that these players and some didn't even play to their potential because of that. We saw that with Rashad Bateman, great pick for the Baltimore Ravens. But to get a Javon Holland in the second round, uh, to me, a guy could have been a first rounder, definitely had he played. Uh, then get. Yeah, I think I think they got five starters in the first three rounds. They got Jalen Jalen Waddle, Jalen Phillips, mm-hmm. the defensive end. Holland, you just mentioned at safety. Liam Eichenberg is going to be a starter at at tackle, worst-case guard, and Hunter Long at the tight end position from BC. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a great – think about it. Buffalo with Josh is already set because they got a superstar quarterback, and they got a a GM that helps the quarterback and builds a roster, along with their head coach, Sean McDermott. But also the Jets now with Zach and and then Tua and certainly New England now with Cam and and Mack and and getting Dante Hightower back who opted out because he's the centerpiece of their defense. They are going to be a team to watch. It's going to be a a really really competitive division. division. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to see how the AFC East quarterback race stacks up. Obviously, Josh Allen is the guy in that division, but those other three teams with major investments at the quarterback spot. I will end on this one and just for a little bit of fun. This one comes from, oh, for the love of God. Mel, you're slipping. No mock 2022 draft out already? 
It, it, well, it's not out until usually after Todd. I always give Todd the respect he deserves, and he comes out with his first round. Yeah, mock. That, that's why you do it. I don't do a first round mock for next year, Todd. That's a tradition with us. He doesn't like to do draft grades. Okay, so I'm forced to do draft grades. Uh, here's he the, here's the backstory. I'll, I'll I'll peel the I'll peel the curtain back a little. I was told 15 years ago, basically as part of my contract, you can either do dra- draft grades or a mock draft. And I said, how about neither? And then I got the look like, well, you're probably not going to get a contract then. So I decided to go with the mock draft. I don't know which is the worst of, of the two evils. I don't like either at all, but if you got to do it, you got to do it. And I got some names for you. You ready? Derek Stingley, corner LSU. Sam Owl, quarterback from North Carolina. Kayvon Thibodeau from, uh, from Oregon. Spencer Rattler, the, the quarterback from Oklahoma. So th- those are four guys you can expect to see in the top ten very likely. Well, yeah, you better you better come up more than that because you got a thirty. I need this. I need this podcast to end so I can go do it because yeah, it's due at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, I, got, I got about I got seventy five names, Todd, of guys. I can you can choose from some of my seventy five. But uh, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a top twenty five big board, top ten positional rankings coming out in a couple weeks on ESPN.com. Thursday, Todd's got his mock one point for twenty twenty two coming out, and uh, a couple other names, by the way. Uh, you mentioned Rattler. Uh, you, know, you think about it, Evan Neal, Alabama, right tackle, moving to left tackle, replace Alex Leatherwood, Darian Kennard, left, right tackle, Kentucky, moving to left tackle to replace Landon Young. Great all-around linebacker, Christian Harris at Alabama, good pass rusher at Oklahoma. Here we go. Here we go. I'm not game all way. I'm anxious to see who you come up with, Todd. I can't wait to read that mock. That'll be a, yeah, I'm sure, Todd, you're just thrilled about that assignment. Well, that's all we have for today's show and for this season of the First Draft Podcast. And I just want to take 30 seconds to thank both of you for being so kind and gracious and allowing me to be a part of this podcast. I say it all the time, but what stands out to me amongst everything you guys do is your passion for the NFL draft. It is unmatched. It is unparalleled. And the insight that you guys have on day three, when we're talking about guys who didn't even start at like division three schools and you've got their high school stats and their scouting report and you know their cousin's first name. It's simply unbelievable. Uh, thank you to both of you for an incredible season. And it was a great, great honor to be a small part of this show. Appreciate you, Phil. Appreciate it, Phil. Great job. And for David Preston. Yeah, you, you were awesome this year. Stop. All the guys behind it that, that make this thing happen, thank you to them. They put an enormous amount of work and preparation to make this easy for all of us. So uh, for Daniel and David, great job. Everybody behind the scenes, I didn't even mention. Uh, we appreciate everything you do. This was a fun year all the way around to try to you know, make this thing. Would it really, you know, I think on a week-to-week basis, we're going to I think, I think, Field, if I didn't get the we'll number. We'll catch up correct, at some point, yeah. We're going we're gonna to start doing this pretty early and roll all the way through the entire Good. year. So not just draft time, draft time is basically 10 months. It goes, my, my opinion, it goes August 1st until June 1st. Yep. And we June and July, we'll take a little break. Yeah, don't, don't call me in July, but after that, we're good. <laughs> call me, you know what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be watching players because I do that work in June and July to get a head start on the season while Todd's vacationing during the weekends during college football, walking the sidelines, <laughs> having a good old time, hot dog, so waving to all his supporters in the stands are saying, Todd, 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 which he hates hearing, but they do it. While he's doing all that, I'm here back at the compound <laughs> grinding away. Grinding away, grinding away. Yeah, I yeah. I just want to. I want to thank. I want one last thank you to that chair for holding up for <laughs> twelve straight weeks hey, of you, you rocking back and forth. Hey, hey that chair just, is let, exhausted. Give, let me give just, it a little rest. 
I, let me just tell you real quick before we go. There's a chair back here that I had to move out. It was a lazy boy. I broke it about a month ago. So I had to move another <laughs> chair in. I called. They can't get me a chair for X amount of months. I'm looking. But this chair is not a rocker. So I was waiting for, seriously, Todd, this back was starting to get a little, Tim's back there, I can't wait. It was starting to get a little, <laughs> okay. it's because me pushing, you know, it's not a rocker and I'm making it into a rocker, uh, a smart thing to do. So this, this is, this is getting a little shaky, but. <laughs> oh man, you guys. Keep it between us. This is what I'm going to miss most. Not the prospect talk, but the talk about everything else that goes on between, before and behind the scenes. Uh, guys, thank you so much. Everybody involved. Uh-oh, the boss is here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, my, I'm in trouble. Mel's in big trouble. If, if Mel doesn't appear in the Darner Mel show for a couple months. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I didn't whisper quiet enough. Oh. If we never me? hear from Mel Kuyper Jr. again, now we know the reason why. All right, well, thank you, everybody who listened. Thank you, everybody who was a part of this show. We cannot wait to be back and trust us. You'll hear from us sooner than later. We look forward to talking to you guys again down the line.